Hey everyone, and welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, co-hosted by me, Holly Hughes, and Olivia Doyle with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. As a regulatory agency for the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services, the Division of Plant Industry works to detect, intercept, and control plant and honeybee pests that threaten Florida's native and commercially grown plants and agricultural resources. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll hear from Dr. Trevor Smith from the Director's Desk and part two of our interview with Eric Rorig and Sidonia Steininger from the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control as they share about a new upcoming biological control program for Brazilian pepper tree. Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. From the Director's Desk with Trevor Smith. Well, hello, DPI. This is Trevor Smith, and uh, it's November, which means pretty soon Christmas trees are going to be coming in. And uh, for those of you that don't know, as everything else ends up being a pathway for pests to get into Florida, uh, Christmas trees are no exception to that rule. In the last few years, we've actually had quite a few Christmas trees coming in from North Carolina in particular that um, in some cases they look like they'd actually been flocked because there were so many scale insects, um, scales, aphids, mealybugs, but it tends to be uh, scale insects that are a real problem for us. But this is, these are several pest species that do not occur in Florida, so we definitely don't want them. And that's been a real problem the last few years. So we've had some of our inspectors uh, being accused of being Grinches and <laughs> not getting into the whole spirit of Christmas, but we don't get to take a break uh, just be, you know, with pests and disease issues. So that's something that we're gonna have again, you know, we'll be really focusing on that this year. That's um, what's interesting. And I think I talked about this maybe in my very first podcast um, at the beginning of this year. We also go in and look at wreaths and, uh, and other things in stores like Michael's and Hobby Lobby and some of those kind of craft stores because they tend to bring in a lot of plant material that doesn't go through proper channels, it kind of goes through the crafting world rather than the plant world and things end up getting into that market without being properly fumigated or inspected. So we've actually had a few years where we found uh, seeds from invasive plants. We've found, uh, we had potpourri one year that was full of beetles, live beetles, uh, pine cones. There's just all kinds of neat things in those craft stores that this time of year uh, we have to check out. So we're gonna be looking at Christmas trees. Uh, we're gonna be looking at craft materials, uh, a lot of the seasonal things like that. And that'll be a big blitz for our inspectors, but it's a good thing. It keeps those, those industries honest and it's a change of pace for our folks. I mean, that's a little different than having to go to, you know, a nursery day in, day out, every day, all year. Uh, just got back from Hawaii. Uh, that was a, a trip that I just took out there looking at several different uh, farm bill projects we had. We've had, uh, in addition to, I've talked about this tri-state farm bill project that we've had in the last couple of years between California, Florida, and Hawaii. This is kind of a, a 
a part of that project as well, but it's really focused on fruit flies. So we actually have several new lures we're testing in Hawaii. We have several new traps we're testing in Hawaii. And again, the reason why we do all this in Hawaii is because Mediterranean fruit fly, Oriental fruit fly, and melon fly are all present in Hawaii in the wild. So we can actually do these types of experiments uh, in the field. So that's where this partnership comes from. But I was just out there uh, checking on several of these projects, finding out uh, what, you know, kind of what University of Hawaii is gonna do, what we're gonna do, what uh, ARS is gonna do. So really productive meetings. But while I was out there, I also went out and took a look at lychee mite and some of the damage lychee mite's doing in Hawaii. And uh, it's just a strange thing that in Hawaii, it just doesn't seem to be as big a pest as it is here in Florida or in Australia or in Brazil for that matter, where it's a major, major issue. But in Hawaii, seemingly the same species doesn't seem to be causing an issue. So that's another kind of joint project we've got between Hawaii and Florida is looking at that pest and what is the difference? Is it a variety issue that they grow out there? Is it a rainfall issue? Uh, is it the chemicals that are being used there versus what's being used here? So there's a lot of questions that we're asking uh, on that front. There's also a new beetle that just showed up in Hawaii that actually attacks citrus, attacks lychee, it attacks avocados, and it's this giant longhorn beetle that just bores right into a healthy tree, right into this giant trunk of it, which is really weird. You normally see longhorn beetles, they usually go after stress trees or, or old dead rotten wood. This guy likes to go for healthy citrus trees. So this is one we definitely do not want. Uh, we're keeping an eye on things. Hawaii's still trying to figure out what the pathway is because this is actually an Australian beetle. Well, Hawaii doesn't get anything from Australia. So obviously there's material going from Australia to somewhere else and then from there to Hawaii and that's how it got there. And that's kind of a worldwide phenomenon with a lot of our, our pest issues. It's just hard to trace things back to wherever they actually came from. They typically go through three or four different distribution centers in different countries or different states before it ever gets to its final resting place. So anyway, so a lot of things we have uh, out in Hawaii uh, that we have in common that we're working on. That's just my phone ringing behind me. <laughs> uh, something else we got going on right now that's interesting and trying to focus on things I haven't talked about over the last year. And uh, this is kind of involving the pet trade and it's indirect in that what we found is the little tiny aquarium plants that are sent in for obviously for your tropical fish, your aquarium, we've actually been picking up a, delf a delphacid, which is a, a leafhopper that uh, is a pest. And what's interesting is these plants are really small and they're really tender. So they'll come in from Thailand or Vietnam or somewhere like that, but they're not fumigated because they're, they're so small, the fumigation would kill it. So they come into California California kind of repackages everything and then they ship it out to the rest of the United States. Well, clearly, uh, whatever inspection is going on is not working because these little tiny plants have lots of pests on them. So that's another blitz we're looking at doing here in November and December is uh, getting back in. Last time we were in the pet stores, it was the little wood chew sticks for rabbits that we were finding all kinds of beetles in. Now it's the little aquarium plants, 
So this is another one, kind of like the craft stores. This is another alternative pathway where these things aren't necessarily going through your, your typical produce plant material inspection process because now it's over in the pet world. So it gets a little bit different um, inspections and review, but it's something else we need to follow up on. So it's not just the, the issue of walking sticks and praying mantises and uh, uh, spiders and all of those things that we're concerned about uh, them bringing in, getting out. It's also the plant material and obviously sticks and wood. We don't apparently have enough branches and twigs in this country. We need to bring them in from China and other places loaded with pests. Uh, but that's another thing. Pet Store Blitz is going to be going on here uh, in the next couple of months. Um, so we've got a lot going on. And, um, of course, we've got everybody's got their various holiday parties coming up. And uh, just remember... Uh, Supervisors, make sure you really uh, take the time to appreciate uh, the, the folks that work for you. And then, you know, everybody at DPI, just take a little time to be a little nicer, a little more patient with, uh, with your fellow employees and just have a great holiday season. Be safe and uh, hope to talk to you again before the end of the year. But if not, we'll catch up again in January. Thanks. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it, and declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey, and remember, don't pack a pest. of our interview with Dr. Eric Gorig and Sidonia Steininger about the new biological control program for Brazilian pepper tree. We are picking right back up where we left off in last month's episode. If you missed it, head back to episode 11. So I know here at DPI we're familiar with some other biological control programs like you mentioned the air potato beetle and the tamarixia wasp. In what ways is this biological control similar to those ones that we already have? It's similar in that it, this will be a collaborative project as well. So we're actually working with the same people that we work with on Air Potato. So um, University of Florida IFAS and Fort Pierce, Florida at the Indian Research, Indian River Research and Education Center. And then also folks at the USDA ARS Invasive Plant Research Laboratory. So it was similar in that they, so they actually, um, both of them, worked on host range testing and they each have a quarantine facility same as we do here so they worked on each worked on the insects and what happened on that and same with this once they get them out then we start collaborating with them at that point and and helping as a group figure out the mass rearing the stuff we discussed the shipping and where to release strategic releases to get the most impact establishing research sites we will work together as we did on that one to have we had a collective website with information for Air Potato where we all contributed to it. We all worked together on publications, on, on the research, on outreach activities. So 
it's it's going to be very similar to that and it'll also be similar in that it's a high profile plant so brazilian pepper as sedonia mentioned is i mean it's all covering nearly a million acres in florida so there's already massive impacts a lot of that sensitive land so the this stuff will the brazilian pepper will go in and it becomes a monoculture and it pushes the other plants out so that includes mangrove so there's whole mangrove swamp yeah. areas that were mangrove and now it's brazilian pepper stands so obviously that's a really sensitive areas it's going to be one that there's a great deal of interest from land managers and the public so it will be pretty high profile and, I, and a lot of people are very excited about this because they they've been dealing with it forever just like the air potato yeah that's nice to have like public support for this that it, it is is very nice it probably makes it easier it does make it a lot easier because there even though there hasn't been issues really with biocontrol in decades people do continually bring up the mistakes that were made in the 1910 1920s 30s where yeah. such as cane toad would people would bring that in the generalist vertebrates which really is not a good idea using vertebrates for biocontrol but um, like mongooses, people still bring that up. So there's always this negative connotation with some people with biocontrol. So these programs are really nice because it helps us get the word out about biocontrol and how it is actually very safe and uh, it's low cost versus using herbicide, which right now yeah. the control methods are herbicide. So they will go out and spray herbicides over large areas, many of which, as I mentioned, are ecologically sensitive areas. And when they do that, th that herbicides are broad spectrum. So when they go in, there's parks we go in that are just covered in Brazilian pepper. And when they are done spraying, it kills every plant for yeah. acres and acres and acres. Everything's yeah. dead. Of course, Brazilian pepper comes right back. Yeah. Um, so it's only temporary. So they have to keep doing that. So you have the cost of the herbicide. You have the cost of the labor. You have the environmental impact of spraying that herbicide. And then you're just going to repeat it again every single year. Mm -hmm. Whereas biocontrol, once you get it out there and it's established, there's no more cost. It just self-perpetuates. Yeah. It helps us get the word out. Yes, it's it's great when the public they've been very very supportive of Vera Potato, and I can only imagine they'll be equally as supportive of yeah. Brazilian pepper. Yeah, some of the land managers that I've talked to, especially in state parks, they have whole crews of people that their full time job is to go out into the state parks and try to get rid of Brazilian mm -hmm. pepper, and so they're spending lot of money and time and energy to go into areas and because Brazilian pepper has some salt tolerance and and tracks mangroves so you'll find it just uphill of mangroves a lot of times um, and has this uh, likes water it does well in in areas that are periodically inundated and can withstand some flooding um, so it's the land managers are excited about it because there are a lot of restrictions on what kinds of herbicides they can apply on anything near water right because yeah right so they so they have to go in with chainsaws and cut the trees cut them down to a stump and then hand apply herbicides and the plants still come back wow. even after all so it's so much manual labor and time and energy and it's they're still not really making headway the biocontrol has the potential to relieve a lot of that pressure sure okay that's a good point that these insects Similar to Melaleuca Biocontrol is a, a program that went on now for 17, 18 years of insect releases. So actually the program went a lot longer because you had the host range testing and all that. But it's nice because Brazilian pepper is similar in that it's in areas where it's very hard to get to. Like Sedonia said, even in the Everglades, it can be on islands and how to, it, it's so hard to work with where these insects can fly to it. Right. Mm -hmm. So it can work in areas where we can't or at least not easily. Yeah. 
and overnight and in weather and all those things where people, you know, don't want to be outside and and working and stuff. They can do it probably through anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, So y'all mentioned that the whole approval process can take years, five or more years to do all of your research and then submit for approval. So what was, how long was the testing period for this program? So for the thrips, it's complicated. (laughs) 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 So the Pseudophilothrips echini, which is the species that has been approved for release, was first identified as a potential biocontrol agent in 1990. And in fact, the first request for release was in 1996. But it, as it turns out, there were actually two taxa, so two different species that were that were being tested. Um, so there was one with orange larvae and one with red larvae. And researchers at the time did not know that these, they suspected that they might be different. But color is not a great indicator in insects usually. So you can have different colors. It can be hard to know. Um, but in subsequent genetic testing, they've discovered that there's actually a separate species. So it's a cryptic species complex. And so they did tests in the mid-1990s, in the mid-2000s, in the mid-2010s, because in 2010, it was when they first discovered that, that Pseudophilothrips echini had a cryptic, another species, which was the Pseudophilothrips, I don't know if I can pronounce it, did I put it in here? Oh, Grandolfi, Grandolfoy. I don't know how to say it. <laughs> There's another species. So that's the one with the red larvae. And so, um, so all of this, all of this time and effort and energy has gone into this biocontrol agent. Um, and then it turned out that quite a lot of the testing wasn't usable because there were actually two species. Oh. And so they've since sorted it out. Thank you, genetics. <laughs> and so the tests had to be redone, but the last round of quarantine uh, host range tests were published in 2016. Um, and so they tested 127 plant taxa. This is how extensive this is. You can imagine a small quarantine laboratory space with all of these different plant species. They did no choice, choice, and multi-generation tests. And of course, determined that the insect is safe for release. So it, there's not a simple answer. It was, it's been happening since the 1990s, basically. Yeah. But yeah, years and years and years of of time go into the host range testing to ensure. So there, it starts in within the home country. So wherever the or the organism that you want to control, you go there and look for potential biocontrol agents. It starts there, and that often happens a decade or two before we even get to the release stage. So a lot of steps have to happen in the interim, as we've mentioned. With the psyllids, the yellow Brazilian pepper leaf color, I mean, <laughs> first identified as a potential agent in 2010. Host specificity tests, excuse me, were published in 2014. And they tested 89 plant species, um, including no choice and choice tests, and those were determined to be safe for release. So the way that they choose the plants that are going to be tested have to do with what are the most closely related plants within the invaded range. There's a lot of research, too, that goes into what's what are the appropriate, so things that are, especially things that are threatened or endangered, that are agriculturally or ornamentally important, those things are kind of highest on the list of priorities. And then your natives, anything that's you think it might potentially feed on you try to get every everything that it might potentially your your proposed biocontrol agent might feed on um, and do really rigorous testing to make sure that if this is the only thing that it's fed will it survive and if it has a choice between things what does it prefer and 
So there's a lot of work that goes into it. Yeah. Yeah. What has DPI done already in preparation for the rearing process? So we've been scaling up on our plant production. So I have a number of plants. I have a a dedicated screenhouse on the campus in which I'm propagating plants and trying to sort out maximum uh, propagation methods. Um, Also reaching out to land managers. Um, I've been focusing especially on state park personnel in the northernmost extent of the range because we here in Gainesville are a little bit above the range for Brazilian pepper in the north, but it does extend up in the Gulf as far as the Crystal River. Um, area and Cedar Key and then it's up supposed it's all the way up in Duval County um, and around Jacksonville on on the Atlantic side so um, I've been talking to people to try to kind of build initial um, relationships and and so we have um, can collaborate with those people to to do our research plots, establish yeah. research plots, and eventually, and everybody is just dying to get these insects. I'm I have sure. people who have been very persistent in, in contacting me and, and are very eager to get insects for release. Um, and then I'm also working right now on trying to acquire supplies. So there are a lot of supplies that are needed and creating space um, so that we can do rearing on a, on a massive scale. Yeah and just try to produce as many insects as we can. I also am in active collaboration with researchers at the um, UF IFAS Center for Aquatic and Invasive Plants uh, down in Fort Pierce and, and then the UF, or I'm sorry, the USDA um, Agricultural Research Invasive Plant Research Lab. <laughs> um, so many words. Yeah. yeah so many acronyms. <laughs> um, Such long names. I know. It's like when I call people and I'm like, I'm with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer <laughs> Services Division of Plant Industry. <laughs> and then you say the name of the insects and then you're really. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I have no idea what you just said. Mumbo jumbo. Um, so yeah, so we're trying to build collaborations, we're trying to increase our number of plants, we're trying to kind of build the infrastructure to bring insects in and start kind of hit the ground running with, with rearing them in mass. Um, and then permitting, making sure we get the appropriate permits to move them and have them. Sure. Um, and then collecting plants. So, um, we'll do field collections. The plants are going to start flowering or have started flowering and then we'll be producing um, droops and, and we'll go collect a bunch of fruits and then we'll have new seeds for next year. So, And we're also pursuing funds to support the program. Yes, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, <laughs> it's always important. Yeah, we yeah. always need that. So we have acquired preliminary funding to initiate the program and we've secured funding for next year for the first year of the program. We've been we're working with USDA PPQ's biocontrol cross-functional working group. So they've been very supportive of, of biocontrol programs with us historically, and uh, we're pursuing other federal grants to, to get money. This, as we mentioned, it's gonna be a really large program. Um, Sedonia is also hiring some personnel for it right now. So yeah. it'll, she'll have two people coming and we imagine We'll probably want more like six or seven or so within a year's time. Yeah. I'd imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of thing covers it. So it seems like there's been a lot of research and extensive time that's been put into this program. People are chomping at the bit for it. What benefits do you hope to see from it once 
it kind of starts to get to that end step. Well, we hope they kill the plants. <laughs> <laughs> no more BP. Plain and simple. <laughs> yeah. um, so as, as we've already mentioned, one of the benefits of, of biological control, it really goes into an integrated pest management program, right? So there, it's, it's in combination with chemical and mechanical removal of the plants. And the, the hope is that it can replace, um, replace those control methods so that we have introduced a natural enemy and that in and of itself helps to slow the the growth of the plants to um, significantly impact negatively impact their reproduction and their spread and so the goal is to try to just knock out the plants as as hard as we possibly can Um, and yeah, in the best case scenario, it will kill all the plants, but that's <laughs> unlikely to happen. Most likely what we'll see is really significant impacts on the plants that reduce their fecundity, reduce their, reduce their growth, reduce their spread, and then that will allow for our other control methods to catch up. Yeah. So that instead of, you know, the people going out with their backpack sprayers and their chainsaws and doing all of this manual labor and then going out the next year and the plants are all just coming back, um, they might actually be able to make some headway and kind of start to to really get rid of the plants in areas where they're incredibly noxious yeah gotcha. yes the long long-term goals would be to decrease plant biomass and spread reduce costs to land managers and homeowners landowners that they spend on things sedonia mentioned chemicals yeah. and labor and as sedonia mentioned it's good to point out that it will not get rid of all the BP. So biocontrol is a control method, not an eradication method. So biocontrol, I'm not aware of any case of biocontrol actually completely eradicating a species. So it... But it can give us a head start. Yeah, it gives you a head start. It, it What you want to do basically is just reduce that plant's impact to a point where the the ultimate goal, where it's not a problem anymore. You, you no longer need to have mechanical or chemical controls so it's going to be there in the environment most likely always we'll never get rid of it but to where it's just there in the background it's not dense monocultures that are displacing native plants and other organisms yeah yeah because in the native range brazilian pepper isn't an invasive in this way right and so what we see when when an organism moves from its native range into an invaded range where it becomes a problem what we what we suppose what we believe is that they've released that they there's what's called the enemy 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 release hypothesis so this idea that when things move into a new range they don't have any enemies nobody eats them um, and so they're able to thrive and become really successful because they just don't have any natural predators Mm -hmm. and so we're trying to introduce a predator that's specific to that plant won't feed on other things and will hopefully kind of bring it into balance as as well as possible yeah well, thank you guys so much. We learned a ton. For sure, yeah. It's really exciting to be here at the start of a program because Olivia and I both started, um, I mean, Tamarixia and Air Potato Beetle had already begun. We were already rearing and they were already successful programs. So it's kind of interesting and exciting to be here on the front end of something that's brand new and about to start. And we can't wait to see, you know, the success of the program years to come. Yeah, very you. exciting. It is very exciting keep in touch <laughs> yes stay tuned for more that's right <laughs> <laughs> thank you guys again for being on the podcast yeah, thank thank you for you. Having us. Yeah. 
lies are threatening agricultural pests in Florida. Find out how DPI protects Florida agriculture by working to detect fruit flies using different traps in our most recent blog post. Blogs are posted regularly and cover a variety of topics. Visit www.fdaxdpi.wordpress.com to read more. This is the Division Digest. We would like to announce the appointment of Leanne Inkle to the position of Senior Management Analyst 2 as the Division Personnel Officer. Leanne has been with the Division of Plant Industry since September 2018 as the Senior Management Analyst position in the Personnel Office. Leanne has a bachelor's degree in human resource management and came to the division with over four years in HR experience. Congratulations, Leanne. We would also like to welcome Nathaniel Colonna as OPS Agricultural Technician 3. Nate will be supporting the Bureau of Methods Development and Biological Control Programs as well as assisting with the security of the facility. Nate recently graduated from the University of Central Florida with a BS degree in interdisciplinary studies and a minor in environmental studies. Welcome, Nate. We would also like to welcome Heather Rohr to the position of OPS Laboratory Technician 1 in the Botany section of EMPP, and Chelsea Skojek as an OPS Lab Technician 4 working with Dr. Z. Ahmed on the Phantasma Scale Program. Chelsea graduated cum laude from the University of Florida with a degree in sustainability studies with a focus on entomology. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at fdax.gov. This podcast was produced in part by Olivia Doyle and Holly Hughes. Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.